say at Christmas time, it's obvious. When we celebrate Christmas, we would do good as Christians to read Luke chapter 2. We do good to read the Christmas story. Not the movie, the real Christmas story, the, the birth of Christ. Just as well when it's Resurrection Sunday. We do well as Christians to, to read the story of the resurrection and in those portions of Scripture. What a blessing it would be. I wonder how many Christians do that. The resurrection is the central and the pinnacle point in all of time for the hope of all mankind. Uh, in fact, it was the main message of uh, New Testament Christianity. He has risen. That's why we're here this morning. We're worshiping the Lord because He has risen. We're going to worship Him tonight because He has risen. We're going to worship Him on uh, Wednesday because He's risen. It's not any less important today than it was 2,000 years ago. He's risen. Let's glorify Him for it. Let's worship Him for it. Amen. Even in the midst of countless miracles all throughout Jesus' ministry that He performed and He did, there was by far the most notable was the resurrection. It was by far the most important It was the resurrection. By far the most necessary. Jesus didn't have to turn water into wine. That that wouldn't have hindered the gospel message. Jesus didn't have to walk on water. That that wouldn't have hindered the gospel message. Jesus didn't have to feed 15 to 20,000 people with the little boy's uh, lunch. That wouldn't have hindered the gospel message. But if there's no resurrection, there's no gospel message. Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again. The resurrection is why we meet on Sundays, the first day of the week, in honor of our Lord. It's where we ought to be, amen. Brother Jim, would you open us in a word of prayer? oftentimes and things that I hear when people go to church and they're visiting is they don't agree with what the preacher said and that's okay I say okay as long as you have a biblical foundation chapter book and verse to back that up a lot of times people say I don't like what the preacher was saying he's coming down my cornrow or whatever but really it's just an opinion and nothing to back up with the word of God the preacher can be wrong so why don't we study our Bibles to see if what he's saying is true or not? Amen. To the Old Testament saints, the main message, I mean the main message, I mean prophecy, preaching, teaching, the main message would have been uh, the, the coming Messiah. It wasn't particularly the resurrection, because first he had to come. That was the main message. 
looking for that blessed hope. Like that flag we had up for a while. Looking for that blessed hope. Amen. And the precious Lamb of God that was shed or was accepted by true Israel. That's a whole message. If you were to talk to a Jewish man today who denies the deity of Christ and who denies the New Testament scripture and who denies the death, burial, and resurrection, you'd be talking to an unsaved man. Maybe of Israel, but he's not of true Israel. In the same way that if you're talking to someone who claimed to be a Christian, but they haven't personally accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they're not truly a Christian. They're just claiming to be a Christian by name. Calling yourself a Christian isn't enough. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but... He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus said that. Shouldn't we, be, shouldn't we concern ourselves with what did Jesus actually say? That's pretty important. There's denominations and religions out there that teach all kinds of ways to get to heaven. And 9.99999 times out of 10 has to do with works. Has to do with works. In fact, believing is not enough. James 2.19 Thou believest that there is one God, that thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. I've got two points this morning. Number one, the resurrection is everything. Jesus said it is finished. But Tony's writing a song about that right now. Jesus said it is finished and he gave up the ghost. The hard part was over for him. Jesus at that moment went to Abraham's bosom and he preached for three days to the saints who had gone on before. And I don't usually assume things that get you in a lot of troubles, but I'm willing to bet that that was a revival of revivals. Jesus, the Son of God, preaching to born-again believers as the final sacrificial lamb and the sacrificial lamb. Then having Jesus as their escort into heaven after a three-day revival meeting with the Lamb of God as the guest speaker, that'll put you on shouting ground. The resurrection is everything. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for, fear, and for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became his dead men. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He said, He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, that's, uh, that's, not, that's something as he said. Jesus then told him he was going to rise again. He's, the angel said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. Uh, folks, the tomb was rolled away while the guards witnessed it. Jesus left a, a, a napkin folded as if to say he'll be back. Jesus uh, appeared in his resurrected body oh, to Mary Magdalene first, and then all the disciples, not, uh, not just once, but many times after his death. When Jesus cried at his finish, he yielded up the ghost. The veil of the temple was torn from the top down boy that's significant and at the same time many graves were open and they were they were literally dead that were brought to life again look at 1 Corinthians 15 3 
1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Man, wouldn't it be good if we got a hold of what the Scriptures had to say? But instead what we do is whatever crowd we're hanging around, we start thinking like they do. We say, well, maybe, maybe hath God really said we start to question, ah, did the scripture really mean this? Like the guy that did our stumps, what did he tell me? He said, oh, you're a Baptist. Oh, so you're like, you're like the, the hardcore Christians. I said, no, we're just literally trying to follow what Jesus told us to do. I mean, what, what, what else do you want to call it? Verse 5. And then he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain in this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles. The resurrection is everything. We only got these little windows of what Christ uh, thought we needed to see and what we need to understand. As Christians, we struggle to even understand this, let alone the 500 that he saw all at once. Man, all, this, all the places and all the people that saw him in the resurrected bodies. I mean, graves that were open. The t- temple uh, uh, veil being rent. I mean, I mean, that was the pinnacle point in history. Things were happening. Resurrection is everything. To the Old Testament saints, the birth of the Messiah was everything. Oh, that's special too. They put their trust in it. They anticipated it. To the New Testament saints, the resurrection is the main event. It's the foundation of our faith. The resurrection is everything. It begs the question, when was the last time that we told anybody about it? Is the resurrection any less important today than it was 2,000 years ago? Is obeying the scriptures any less important today than it was 2,000 years ago? I know that I love my wife and we've been married almost 19 years. We got a head nod. We're good. Wouldn't it be a sad state of affairs if I loved her less today than the first day? We got married. First time I said I love you, but she didn't say it back for like a week. Not bitter about it. The resurrection of Christ is not any less important than when it was 2,000 years ago. The birth of Christ isn't any less important than it was when, when Adam and Eve first sinned and got kicked out of the garden And all of a sudden, the waiting process began, waiting and looking for that blessed hope, the precious Lamb of God to take, for the hope to take away their sins, amen. Not any less important. Then why do we not make it a priority? Why do we not teach our children? Why do we not say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord? You don't have to turn there, but Luke 12, 8, this is Jesus speaking. He said, also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also uh, confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. 
you're not saved this morning, boy, it'd be a great day to ask Christ to come into your heart. There is no greater thing in all of eternity than your salvation. Number one, the resurrection is everything. Number two, a resurrection is for everyone. Turn to Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19 and Hebrews chapter 11, if you're quick. Job chapter 19 and Hebrews chapter 11. Number one, this morning, the resurrection is everything. That's what we base. I mean, that's what we're pointing to. That, that is, our salvation is, is in the one who rose from the grave. A resurrection is for everyone. Job chapter 19. They say it's the oldest book, written book in the Bible. It says, For I know, this is Job speaking, it says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though, look at this now, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, he said, Yet in my flesh shall I see God. That is not possible unless Job believed in a personal resurrection. Turn to Hebrews eleven seventeen. When Abraham trusted God mm, to put his only son of promise on the altar. And that's about ten messages in and of itself. Abraham believed God that God was able to resurrect him. God made a promise that he was, he was going to uh, 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 multiply his seed as the sands of the earth, as the stars in the heaven, through Isaac. And if God wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, God's good, if, if God's God and he makes promises and he doesn't renege on him, then God's going to have to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham had to believe that Isaac could be raised from the dead because God's powerful enough to do that. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence also he received him in a figure. Mm. That ought to get you excited if you're saved this morning. Turn to Acts chapter 24 and I'll be there in a moment. Jesus said in John 6, 54, he said, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Isaiah 26, 19 says, The dead men shall live together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Daniel 12, 2 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Is the word of God any less true today than it was 2,000 years ago? About 5,000 years ago. You should be there. Acts chapter 24, verse 14. But this I confess unto thee, that, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I should have prefaced this. This is Paul standing before the council, and he's given his testimony. 
Then he comes to verse 15, he says, And have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. Moses and the prophets, they preached Jesus as the coming Messiah, the spotless Lamb of God. New Testament preachers, they're still preaching the very same Jesus. The same spotless Lamb of God who has now defeated death in the grave as the resurrected Lamb of God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. After the resurrection, Jesus revealed himself to the 12 disciples. I just get goosebumps thinking of times like this, trying to put myself in that position. What it must have been like, and I think I was talking with Brother Tony about what it must have been like to be in the upper room as Jesus is preaching to him and teaching to him and singing with Jesus in his presence. You're not there, but Matthew 28, 17 says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I think, how could they have doubted as they physically stood before the risen Savior? He's physically standing there in his resurrected body. How could they doubt? We know that wherever two or more are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, there am I in the midst. People are still doubting in his presence today. People are doubting that he's really truly the son of God that taketh away the sin of all the world. They're still doubting that God sent his only son to be the perfect, spotless, precious lamb sacrifice for all of mankind. You know, there's backslidden Christians that still are doubting that God can fix their lives. That God can make a bitter heart unbitter. The lost person can't even understand the word of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Oftentimes when people say, I don't even understand the word of God. It doesn't even make any sense to me. Well, one, you might not even be saved. Number two, you might be saved and you're really not even trying. You're not far, go to 2 Corinthians 13.5. 2 Corinthians 13.5. The backslidden Christian can't see very clear either. 2 Corinthians 13.5. It says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves. How that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? If you're not proving your faith, then you have no confidence. And we have a whole lot of lack of confidence in the Word of God these days. It's like David went to go kill Goliath. He's going to go kill Goliath. He's got God on his side. But his authority said, hey, you need, you need to put on this armor. This is what you need to do, because this is what I use. You need to put on this armor. David said, I haven't tried that. I haven't proved that. We'd do really, really good if we would prove the word of God ourselves, not say, hey, my pastor said. But if we prove it ourselves, we'd have confidence in the word of God. Because we've tried it. 
Faith has never been by sight. The disciples, in that sense, were no different than anybody else in history. They still had to believe by faith. Each and every one of them had to believe with all their heart and not their eyes. Seeing is not believing. Never has been, never will be. Remember the, 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 the guards at the tomb? They ran and told what, what happened. They were willing to keep their mouth shut for money. There's people when Lazarus was risen from the dead. There were people that, that they didn't believe what they saw. And they went and told. Look what Jesus is doing. Seeing isn't always believing. <laughs> I was thinking of the children of Israel. They get to the Red Sea. Like God hasn't done everything for them. Just laid it out for them so perfectly. They still didn't believe. Then they doubted. And then every other chapter in the next 40 chapters of the children of Israel, amen, the same over and over. <coughs> Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.13, our last scripture this morning. Can I ask you this, this morning before we leave, are, are you a Christian? Do you believe in the resurrection? When was the last time you told anybody about it? When was the last time we told anybody about the grace of God and what He did for us in our lives? I particularly enjoyed this past week inviting everybody at work to Resurrection Sunday. And they're like, to what a what what? A lot of them didn't even know what I was talking about. Is it any less important today than it was 2,000 years ago? 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love the world neither in tongue but in deed and in truth. As in, be doers and not hearers only. You say, well, Pastor, you say that all the time because it's true. Because it's true. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 but I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, amen, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That's a personal resurrection. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel with the, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air, uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Are we comforting one another with these words? Everyone's going to be part of a resurrection. There was the resurrection when Jesus rose from the grave. I'm talking like pinnacle point in history. From Jesus being on the cross to being buried in the tomb. With a wax seal, amen. The tomb being rolled away, he's resurrected. That's the pinnacle point in all of history. What it signifies, that there is hope for our salvation. Because without it, there is no hope. Eternal life, whether you realize this or not, is actually given at conception. 
The difference is where are you going to spend your eternity? Jesus answered that question really clearly in John chapter 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus. Tell him that you had to have, uh, uh, tell Nicodemus how to get to heaven. He said, you've got to have a spiritual birth. He said, you've got to have a physical birth. That's obvious because you're here. But you also have to have a spiritual birth. As in, you have to be born again. Nicodemus says, how can man be born again? Go back into his mother's womb? No, it's a fair question. Because it's a spiritual birth. And if you don't have that spiritual birth, you're going to be resurrected into a second death, and it's going to be a place called hell. You're going to wind up in a lake of fire. It's going to be torment and miserable and pain and suffering. You say, Pastor, that is old fogey stuff. You're just, you're just saying stuff that you've heard before. I'm saying exactly what the Word of God says. Prove me wrong. Or you could be resurrected to eternal life. Oh man, be with Jesus forever. To not be with Jesus forever is hell enough, let alone a lake of fire and the torment and the brimstone that's going to be there. See, those are metaphors. They're not metaphors in the Word of God. I thank God that when Eve and Adam, they're both guilty, amen. I don't want to point fingers. Who's better, the husband or the wife? But Adam was responsible. The moment that they sinned, they had no idea the curse that they put on everything. Everything. And we don't even realize it because we live in it. We live in the fallen state of man. We live in a uh, sin-sick world that's been cursed by sin. We're just used to it. We're used to all the weeds, amen. We're used to the annoying mosquitoes. I don't know if that's those in the garden or not, but we're, we're used to that because we live in it. But man, there's a place called heaven, and that's where Jesus is. That's where I want to be. But you can't get there unless you're born again, unless, you, unless you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior. Because he's your personal Savior first before you have your personal resurrection. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for your word. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that, Lord, has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, understanding.